The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, I'm so excited to introduce to you Marissa Moon, and she is an intermittent fasting coach. And so Marissa, tell people who don't know about you, tell them all about you and what you do. Sure. I'm happy to be here, Chantel. Thank you so much. I'm a certified primal health coach. I'm really passionate about ancestral health. I think we can learn a lot from looking back on the ways humans lived long before civilization and maybe just use that today to become healthier, more vibrant people. And I do teach intermittent fasting in my online program called Intermittent Fasting Freedom because my flexible intermittent fasting approach helps people learn how intermittent fasting can become a part of their life forever in a way that feels like really them, you know, so they can stop questioning everything they're doing with their diet and like really feel like they've hit the sweet spot. And I'm the host of the Foundation of Wellness podcast, and I just love sharing what I learn. I'm very passionate about this. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's talk about you and your personal story. I think I saw online that you had some health issues and talk a little bit about what caused you to dive into this and what you kind of how you changed your diet and how you helped your own health to kind of take it to the next level. Yeah, I've been learning that intermittent fasting exists probably for about eight years, but it never really sounded like it was something for me, no matter how much it made sense ancestrally. I just was like, I love food. I'm not going to skip a meal on purpose. That's crazy. Like food is my life. That's the kind of family I come from. And, and it didn't really appeal to me until I was desperate enough to find a solution that intermittent fasting could provide. And that's really when it came after my ADHD diagnosis. Now I have inattentive type ADHD. So that's really without the hyperactivity. But when you get diagnosed in adulthood, like I did, you just really want to learn all about it. And I tried every natural intervention there is to try and lessen my symptoms and maximize my brain power so I could really follow my dreams. And I was left pretty disappointed in a lot of the natural interventions out there. And it took really for me to hit a breaking point where I was like, "Um, intermittent fasting is so obvious because it does so much for the brain. Why am I not trying this for my ADHD? I could just try it and if it doesn't work, fine, whatever. And it was instant gratification. And that's what we really want with ADHD. I mean, who doesn't want that anyway? But it was just instant payoff. I mean, the the boost in productivity and energy, mental energy, which is just so valuable to us with ADHD, was immediate. It's like if I eat a meal before noon, for instance, now I notice a huge dip in my concentration, more brain fog, more frustration too, like my stress tolerance is lower, decision-making is harder. Sometimes I even want a nap. I mean, a lot of us know what that feels like after a big meal. It's an energy-intensive process to digest all of that food. And it soon just started to make sense in my mind, like, hey, if I want my brain to be the priority, why am I demanding digestion right now? Then all my blood flow and resources are going to my digestive system instead of going up here to the brain where the ADHD brain is especially lacking blood flow, blood flow and resources so that we can make the connections needed to be productive and, and feel good throughout the day. Awesome. And I was reading on your site that you had something about um, your story about how you gave up gluten and how you kind of had to, are you eating dairy now or did you give that up? Are you still? I do eat some dairy now and it's because I tolerate it entirely fine. But I think what you're talking about is when I first gave up gluten, it was because I had irritable bowel syndrome and a leaky gut and all sorts of digestive issues that I was so frustrated with. And in fact, that's what brought me down the like path of interest in ancestral health and nutrition. Even before I became a health coach, I was trying to find answers for myself and removing gluten, like got rid of all of the issues that I was having digestive wise, but casein, the protein in dairy 
is similar molecularly to gluten and your immune system can sometimes fire in response to casein protein because it mistakes it for gluten if you are sensitive and you have a leaky gut. So I learned that if I wanted to really heal my leaky gut, I should probably remove dairy as well. And so I did that for about a period of six months and slowly started to play around with different types of dairy to see what my body could tolerate or couldn't. And then thank goodness, eventually I healed completely and I'm able to tolerate dairy. I'm, I'm very particular about it. I, I like to only source raw dairy products that are organic or from pasture raised and grass fed cows. But, you know, that's this whole journey of healing my gut took me down the path of ancestral health and paleo and primal living. And thank God for that, because it just repeats itself over and over in my life. I need to turn to that when something feels like it's just not right or it's out of balance. I know ancestral health has the answer for me. Now, I know that you had discovered something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So talk about what that is for people who aren't familiar with it. Yeah. So honestly, for a long time, people thought if you get tested for celiac disease and your test results come back negative, then you don't have a problem with gluten. But it's so much more complicated than that. And they don't even know exactly how to identify it or the medical terminology is not even agreed upon across the board. It could be non-celiac gluten intolerance, but it could also be non-celiac wheat intolerance. It could be because of glyphosate, the weed killers that they spray on those types of plants when they're harvesting them. And this desiccation process is what it's called, crop desiccation, is to help them dry up the plants and harvest them sooner. But the glyphosate could be giving us a lot of the same symptoms as non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And so in the end, it, it is my conclusion because anytime I would slip up and have gluten again, I would have some type of symptom that cannot be denied. And anything ranging, once I healed my gut, I no longer had the GI issues, thank goodness, but I would get massive hangovers. When I would eat gluten thinking like, oh, it's been a long time, like maybe I could have some, the next day, even zero alcohol in my system, I would have the worst, like when you have the flu, you can't think straight, you can't get up, you've got a headache, you're exhausted. And of course, I asked my you know, alumni peers from my Primal Health Coach Institute, hey, does anybody else get a hangover when they eat gluten? And there was just like, poof, like 40 comments and everybody's like, that happens to me, that happens to my husband. And so the gluten sensitivity can manifest in so many ways. And I always tell people, just try giving up gluten for two weeks. If you have skin issues, if you have frustrations with your body and your health that no one has answers for yet, it's definitely worth it to try removing gluten from your diet because you can always eat it again. It's worth fact just eliminating that as a possibility. And for a lot of people, it's the solution. So talk a little bit about your opinion. You know, there's, I know that like Peter Osborne, he was on our show and he is a big proponent of, you know, that they're, even though that, you know, corn and rice and other grains, they have their own family of gluten. And so even though something says, you know, his, his philosophy is that there's, there's gluten even though they're say some a product can say gluten free, if that there's other grains like corn and rice and other ones that have a family of gluten mm -hmm. in there, have you kind of heard of that at all? Is that yeah. reasons why you don't eat grains? Well, gluten is really a family of proteins. It exists in a lot of grains, and it's a type of lectin. And lectins can be problematic for people in all sorts of ways, especially when it comes to digestive health, and they're inflammatory. I mean, it's really the plant's built-in defense mechanisms to make sure that that seed, you know, grains are seeds, make sure that that seed can end up in the soil again and produce offspring grow into a plant. That's its only goal in life. The seed just wants to grow into a plant. So it's evolved to have these lectins, glutens, and defense mechanisms to protect itself. But I'm really not the strict type. Uh, it's just not my style. And I don't really love the exclusive rulemaking, like hard boundary sort of advice because it doesn't work for me. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are like me that really get overwhelmed by that. And so I very carefully wean myself away from that obsessive 
sort of dietary uh, perspective when I started learning about all this, because it's very easy to be like, oh my God, I can never eat at a public restaurant again. I can't have tortilla chips. I can't have anything that's not organic. Like you could just straight up lose your mind and drive your partner insane. So I knew that that wasn't the Marisa that really is a part of me that I never want to lose. And that Marisa is easygoing, is fun, and is uh, inclusive. And I think that you have to test it out for yourself. If I was still having problems, I'd probably be a neurotic head case and checking every single thing for any trace of gluten and, and beyond that. I'd probably be worried about lectins in general. But fortunately for me and for many people, we don't have to be that strict. I think um, cross-contamination, for instance, in a restaurant is a big concern for celiac but not a lot of times for non-celiac gluten-sensitive people, maybe someone with an autoimmune disease. But for me, for instance, if I really want to have something that's been, you know, in the same fryer as something with gluten, but it doesn't have gluten, like say a French fry, I'll be okay. But other people have to worry about that cross-contamination. I just learned that for myself. I don't need to be that strict. Sure. So let's talk about what does a typical day look like for you as far as like, when do you start eating? How do you incorporate intermittent fasting? And what does your diet look like? What are your foods that you, you really focus on eating and what are ones that you stay away from? Well, this is a good segue because just as flexible as I try to be with the rules in my diet, I'm the same way about intermittent fasting. So I don't, stop fasting at the same time every day um, or stop eating at the same time every night. And I think this will resonate with people who have ADHD or attention issues because we don't usually adopt routines and strict regimens naturally. It's just hard for us to do the same thing over and over and over again. We need novelty and flexibility and intuitive, impulsive behavior. And so I really started intermittent fasting with bulletproof coffee. And that is something I teach all of my clients because it's freaking delicious, first of all, and it's an appetite suppressant. And it makes you feel entirely capable to go ahead and fast when you would normally be eating a meal. It feels like a meal replacement. But the key is you're not having carbs or protein, which can really turn off autophagy and a lot of the other benefits that we get from intermittent fasting. So for a long time, I was drinking my Bulletproof coffee in the morning, and I wasn't eating until after I got some of my most important work done which I always do in the morning. And so that means I'm usually breaking my fast between 12 and 3, and it's usually not a big meal at one time, or I'll get that same feeling where I want to just check out, go home, done with work for the day. And so I'll break it up, and I'll just eat as much or as often as I want over the next eight hours of my day, and that includes going home to eat with my family. And the foods that make up my diet usually are foods that I can find in nature. I try to eat less packaged foods. I find myself just like everyone else. Once I start buying the packaged foods and they're in my house, then I want them more. I'm, I'm snacking more and I'm, I'm spinning more out of control. So our plates always look like slow cooked braised meats I source from local farms. A lot of fatty and connective tissues, bone broths and things that really provide the building blocks for our body and brain to be strong and ancestrally make a lot of sense. And then tons of vegetables of all kinds, different colors. Um, thankfully, my partner's not picky and we love trying new foods. I'm, I probably never cook the same thing twice. I love cooking. It's kind of an escape for me. It's, it's really a hobby. And I'm lucky for that. I know a lot of people don't love cooking, but I think it's a part of who we are as a human. It's really a skill that only humans have. And to be in touch with your food and, and, and tangibly touching your food or learning where it comes from and, and getting to know the people who grow your food or learning to grow it yourself. I mean, these are entirely human experiences that we should be so grateful to have. Awesome. Well, out of all your recipes, and I know you have a bunch of them online, what would you say, like, if you if you wanted to send someone to your website and you'd say, okay, my three best recipes, like for me, <laughs> I'm telling you, I have a paleo granola that will rock your <laughs> world. Like everyone who eats it is like, this is to die for. Remind me and I will send you that recipe. But like, so what do you have on your website that is 
I think mine's called like the world's greatest granola or something <laughs> like that. Um, but what it, out of your recipes, like if you had to pick three, which ones would you say are like to die for? Well, just so everyone knows, I got my start in this whole nutrition world by sharing my recipes on a blog at mylongevitykitchen.com. It's, it's old now. Like I don't keep it up to date, but it's still, you know, live and recipes are there, but it's been a long time since I really visited a lot of those recipes. And, and the most popular ones are the pot roast, grass-fed pot roast, and the nutty butter collagen bars, and the truth about overnight oats, which I also made into a podcast because that really talks about the old-fashioned preparation of oats, even though in my house we don't eat very many grains. I think that preparing them the old-fashioned way by soaking them and fermenting them is just such a tremendous thing that you can do for you and your family. Mm. And you can learn a lot from that post, The Truth About Overnight Oats. It's really the that that my Longevity Kitchen website was to share with people my journey as I was learning about primal and paleo eating and going gluten-free. And I wanted to get the word out then. And now I spend most of my time at marisamoon.com and podcasting, but that is a cool place that still gets lots of traffic and I hope to revisit it one day for sure. Awesome. So um, let's just talk about for you, like what do you feel like if somebody is really wanting to lose weight? Like if they say, look, you know, I'm in a little bit of a rut, I want to lose weight. What would be your top three or four tips for them of what they need to do to help lose weight? Well, the same tips that I'm going to give to someone to lose weight are the same tips I'm going to give someone to start intermittent fasting. And my approach always begins with a 21-day carb reduction phase. And it's not low carb. It's not keto. It's nothing to be intimidated by. This is just a phase to help your metabolism stop depending on carbohydrates for energy and to add more nutrient-dense foods to your diet so that it more resembles the types of foods that humans have been eating for so long and the types of foods that your body and brain expect from you. So when you bring your carbohydrate intake to under, I like to say 130 grams of carbs a day, then you'll soon be able to use fat for energy, which is critical for intermittent fasting and also for all sorts of processes in the brain, um, stable mood and energy supply. So I, I think a 21-day adaptation phase where you're reducing your carbs, maybe you're replacing one or two meals a day so you're not having bread in that meal, you're eating your food out of a bowl, for instance, or adding more vegetables, making it into a salad. And you can still have carbs with your family for dinner. You don't have to be too restrictive with that number. And then just doing that alone is going to help some people lose weight because in order to do that, you'd have to cut out candy, soda, sugars, and then all the breads, crackers, bagels, pasta, all the things we're so used to eating at every single meal. And then when you start implementing at least a 12-hour overnight fast, you'll also start to see gradual weight loss. Now, if you can slowly extend that fasting window and find your sweet spot between 14 to 18-hour fast overnight, now remember a lot of that you are sleeping, so it's actually easier to do than it sounds at first. And you slowly work your way up to there and the weight just comes off much more naturally because you're not constantly putting food in and demanding insulin production, which our body creates in response to carbohydrates and even some protein. If you're always demanding insulin, guess what insulin does? It makes you store body fat and it even stops you from burning that body fat, which means you definitely can't use that fat for energy like we want to. So let's talk about sugar for just a second. Um, so when you want something sweet, tell us what, like, what do you make in your kitchen that you do and how often are you eating some kind of sweets, even if you make it yourself? That's a good question. I mean, I was never like a major sweet tooth person. My husband is, but we would if we had sweets in the house, he would eat all of them. Like I would find him on the couch with all the wrappers all over him. And he would just be like, I don't know what happened. And that that's not really me. That's me with like potato chips and salty things. But I, I think the only thing we do now, if like we really want something is we'll have like a halo top ice cream or dairy free halo top or something that's lower in sugar, but still gives us that same satisfaction. Or I'll just have fruit. Like to me, fruit is awesome and it's a big deal and it's delicious. And it takes a while to get there. You know, I'm not really um, 
I'm not really set on breaking those addictions for people until they really want life without that because it is an addiction. I believe it's an addiction because the rewards pathways in the brain have already been triggered and it's hard to break that cycle. So if your family insists on having candy and cookies and desserts in the house, it's really unfair to you and to yourself to expect you to be able to break that sweet addiction because once you get over that hump, there is nothing more freeing than not craving that anymore and wanting it every time. If you can finish a meal of something savory and not have something sweet, then you've really got a grip on your appetite and it makes you feel so much better. And so I I encourage everyone to strive for that. And eliminating artificial sweeteners is a really great way to boost that, um, the likelihood that you'll get over that hump and just reducing your carbohydrate intake. I can't stress that enough. That is hugely important if you want to get a grip on your sweet tooth and your appetite. Yeah, because like for me, there's no question. I definitely have a serious sweet tooth. I've always liked like cake or cookies or ice cream. And, you know, I really believe like if you asked almost any person, you could say, okay, are you a sweets person or a salty person? And most people will say one or the other. Very, mm-hmm. Some people will say, I want both, right? Mm-hmm. And I read this great article that was talking about, who knows if it's true or not, but they were saying that that people who have a sweet tooth have a certain DNA in their taste receptors, which are found in their intestines on their tongue. Mm-hmm. And that they're people who have more of like a salty food, um, you know, they have a different one. And yeah. that, that people who were born premature with like low sodium levels might want salty foods, but who knows? Oh, who yeah. knows what the, the real re- reason is. Um So as far as tips for someone who wants to, let's say they are wanting to decrease their eating window, they want to make it smaller, any tips that you have for people that can kind of make it easier for them to kind of, you know, maybe they say, okay, I'm I'm currently doing a nine hour eating window. I want to move down to a six hour eating window or whatever. Any tips for them? Well, there's a a lot of ways we can approach this, but I just want to start by saying it depends. It depends on the person's schedule and lifestyle and their eating habits and and who's eating around them. Fasting is really hard to do if the person in your office is microwaving some pizza and you can start smelling it. You're going to want to eat and break your fast. If you're home and you can just get up and go to the fridge or go to the pantry whenever you want, it's also hard to fast. But If you are determined or if you are busy and you're on your own and you're driving around or you're at meetings and you're making phone calls, that is just the best time. But things that make it easier are bulletproof coffee. I mean, I understand why a lot of fasting experts, even on this summit, will tell you that that's not fasting. But I am telling you that it is way better than eating and it is very similar or almost identical to fasting and it will help you first of all, enjoy your fast. Isn't that something that you want? Don't you want to enjoy your fast and make it more likely that you can continue this practice for the rest of your life? And so if that means you need to have a satiating fatty bulletproof coffee and encourage more ketones to reach your brain and more satisfaction in your body and brain, then why not do that? And slowly you can wean yourself off of that. It's just a great way to extend the fasting window, adding in that bulletproof decaf or regular coffee. You can even do bulletproof tea. And then you get used to that longer fasting window and you can get rid of the bulletproof if you have more weight to lose and more fat to lose. So those are some ways that you can extend the fasting window. And there's, there really depends on a person's particular situation. And I think doing it according to your schedule and your family schedule and your social life is hugely important. Because again, if you're not happy with the way that your fasting routine is is interacting with the rest of your life, then you're not going to stick with it. And the most important thing is to stick with it. And that means you have to figure out how it works for you. Just because somebody's telling you that you should be fasting 20 hours a day, if that doesn't feel right to you, or you're not getting enough sleep, or you're chronically stressed, or it's messing up your fertility or your menstrual cycle, like you got to think about yourself because you are an individual, your life is unique, and your approach should be unique. And all of us have lost touch with like our instincts and intuition, like telling us like, Hey girl, you got to eat. Like you asked me what I like sweet tooth wise. My thing is dark chocolate. 
And so it's always like 80% organic dark chocolate, sometimes 85%. And I, I really just feel so satisfied when I have that. And I've noticed around my monthly cycle, that's when I want even more of it. I might eat the whole bar an entire day. And the old Marisa would be like, I can't believe you just ate that much fat, like shame on you. But I know now that it's my body really telling me something that I need and I don't do it all the time. And it's not like a frenzy it's controlled and it feels very satisfactory and like, I'm happy to do that. And so why not, you know, are you enjoying the summit and hearing all the great advice that you don't want to forget? Get the all access pass and get all the video presentations and the audio downloads of every single session. You can get the all access pass and listen to the summit all year long if you want. The best part is you get all of the transcripts so you can go back and read and see every little note that they talked about. Go to fastingresetsummit.com to get your all access pass today. Hey guys, Lauren here. Did you know Chantel just released her new book, Fasting of Freedom? The book is all about the benefits of fasting from a biblical perspective. You'll discover how you can see supernatural healing in your body. You will learn how to discern God's still small whisper to guide you and help you make decisions. You will also master utilizing God's power to overcome difficult times and receive a breakthrough when you are stuck. And you will see how fasting can help you gain victory over a nagging area of sin in your life. You can order your copy right now on Amazon or go to fastingoffreedom.com. Link is in the show notes. Hey guys, I just finished writing a quick little 20 page recipe book that has some of my most amazing smoothie recipes. Everyone that comes over is like, Chantel, you can turn a smoothie into gold. And so I'm sharing that with you free. It's got my tropical colada smoothie recipe, my extra super green smoothie that tastes delicious, and it's all for free. Go to ChantelRayWay.com slash smoothie for your free book. I've also developed my own product line. You'll be able to get all these multivitamins that I'm doing in one pill. Each nutrient is totally legit. All the formulas are tested and science-backed without any mystery additives. Personally, my thyroid is better. My skin is glowier. I have more energy. This supplement is vegan, non-GMO, gluten, and allergy-free. Go to ChantelRayWay.com slash supplements and check them out. Now back to the show. So um, I saw on your your um, blog or on mylongevitykitchen.com, you have a lot of recipes that um, don't have beans. So do you, you know, I know that you like a paleo diet. Would you say that you eat like 80% paleo, 90% paleo? What kind of percentage of paleo do you eat? And what are some things that you just kind of besides gluten that you just say, you know, I don't love this. This doesn't do well for your body personally. Well, for a long time, I had to give up things like beans or really limit them because I had to try a low FODMAP diet. FODMAP is F-O-D-M-A-P, an acronym for all these long, ridiculous sugars that exist in even healthy foods like apples, avocados, and grains and and you name it, it's in almost everything. And so when you get a lot of bloating or gas and you're wondering where it's coming from, a lot of times a low FODMAP diet can help you with that because what you're doing is you're starving the overgrown bacteria by not giving them the sugars and foods that they love. And so I had to give up beans for a while. A lot of people do. They have lectins, they have phytic acid, they have ingredients that can make digestive health a little bit more troublesome unless we are preparing them the old-fashioned way. So I buy Eden organic beans because Eden Foods makes their beans the old-fashioned way. They soak them overnight, drain them, and then cook them with kombu seaweed, which helps break down those um, digestive you know, fibers and things that, that are harder on our guts. And so I don't get gas. I don't get the response that I used to get when I would eat it. And, and because I optimize my digestive health, it's easier for me to eat those now. A lot of this was gradual. You know, I started with a more strict paleo template and then I would slowly adopt more of a primal template, which means I'm including some more legumes and lentils and dairy if I can tolerate it. And like the Weston A. Price Foundation will teach you the old fashioned preparations of some of these seeds and grains and nuts and things are what makes it tolerable, what makes it possibly nutritious and what minimizes the toxins. And so I am now happy to say I'm probably like 
80, 90% primal. And I try not to worry about it. You know, like I said earlier, I try to enjoy myself when I go out with my friends and not be like totally neurotic because to me that wastes so much energy and it, and it puts a wedge between me and my, my relationships. And I lose a little bit of myself when I do that. Awesome. So any other particular foods, like I love that you said that with the Eden foods, like those beans, you know, they're prepped differently. So they feel better when you eat them. Any other things where you've said, now I'm able to incorporate this, this, and this, um, but I, you know, use this particular brand because it, you know, makes me feel better. Well, there's a brand called True Roots that makes dried sprouted legumes and sprouted quinoa and all sorts of like convenient pre-sprouted stuff. I, I mean, it's not in everyone's budget to buy those types of foods, but What's, what was the brand again? True Roots. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. <laughs> and I can find those at my Whole Foods Market, for instance, or online. And those are always in my pantry too. We eat organic Indian basmati white rice. Mm. And even though grains are not usually considered part of a paleo or primal diet, white basmati rice is low glycemic and it's lower in arsenic because the type of rice and where it's grown, if it's from India, and the fact that it's organic um, makes it less toxic. And any rice that you remove the hull or the bran from the outside so it's not brown anymore makes it more easily digestible and lowers the lectins and other you know, digestive sort of disruptors that can stimulate the immune system or cause issues there. So in my house, that's what we eat. And I think just making those two exceptions has given us like a well-rounded sort of like options that we didn't have before when I was being more strict. And I also love the um, Kite Hill Kitchen's awesome buns and Mm. they're keto paleo buns. I don't, it's, they're like magic buns. I don't know how the heck they do it. It's like eggs and psyllium husk maybe are like the ingredients and they're like real buns. It's amazing. And so I always have them in my freezer, but they end up being like two bucks a bun. So I'm not like eating them every day. It's just awesome. When I want to have a burger between two slices of bread, that's what we do. Awesome. Have you heard about where like if you cool some foods after cooking, it increases their resistant starch. And so basically it's like not all carbs are created equal. And so like a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll take like white rice, like you just said, and put it, like cook it and then cool it and then put it in the refrigerator because starches are made of like long chains of glucose and glucose is the main building block of carbs. And so if you take something like resistant starch is, is resistant to digestion. So it could pass through the intestines without being broken down in your body. But like, for example, if you took rice, like that white rice that you were talking about, the basmati rice, and then cooked it, put it in the refrigerator, then ate it the next day, mm-hmm. it would would be easier to digest for certain people who have um, issues. Have you done anything like that? Yeah, I have. And it's an interesting field of research that I think is constantly changing the more they learn about the gut and the microbiome. But resistant starch is actually from that same family of fibers that FODMAPs are from and insoluble fibers. And they can cause, you know, gas or bloating for some people. Like for instance, green bananas is like a big resistant starch thing. Um, people in the paleo world are like all about it, but for some, it can be too much and can actually like cause discomfort. So that's the kind of thing you want to take slowly. But the way that you're talking about it is a great way to reduce the insulin response or the glycemic load that you're getting in response to that food. So if you ate a baked potato right out of the oven, it would cause more of an insulin spike and just be a little bit more inflammatory for your body and for your gut than if you ate it the next day as leftovers. And um, that's a pretty interesting area to explore for some people, especially if insulin and uh, type 2 diabetes is an issue for them. Well, talk about the oats that you prepare and why those are so much easier. Like, can you describe the process of how you make those overnight oats and what it does to kind of help ease the digestion? Sure. So 
The overnight oats preparation, well, the trend in general, I think missed two really important things. The trend is just soak them in whatever liquid you want inside your refrigerator with the cap on and just eat them the next day. They're ready to go. But evolutionarily, our ancestors knew that that's not how you treat a grain or a seed. It's not ready to eat that way. Um, importantly, the soaking process should be warm or at room temperature because Little bacteria are getting to work and breaking down the grain for you, almost like pre-digesting it so that it's easier for you to digest. They're breaking down enzyme inhibitors and lectins and phytic acid. But even further, when you cook it, that is a pretty critical step that they're skipping with overnight oats. I want you to cook it. It only takes about five minutes. And when you cook it, you're breaking down those lectins and making it even more digestible. And when you're soaking it, I, I teach people in that blog post to add a little bit of an acidic helper, like a little bit of the um, liquid on top of your plain yogurt, that, that runny liquid that's in there, that's called whey, acid liquid whey. And that helps like get the bacteria all ready fermenting your oats and breaking them down much more efficiently. And you can use lemon juice or apple cider vinegar if you want, or kefir or something like that. But those things together, just soaking it at room temperature, adding a little soaking um, helper, and then cooking it, make it tremendously more nutritious and lower in toxins. So for anyone that eats oats every day, that is a huge thing I'd like for you to consider. And um, making them the old-fashioned way is, is a really great idea. Awesome. And what was the buns that you were saying that were so good? What was the They're brand called- of they're called Awesome Buns with a Z at the end, and I think they're by Kite Hill Kitchens. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay, Kite Hill is actually a, a dairy-free alternative yeah. line. They're called uh, Fox Hill Kitchens. Fox, Fox Hill Kitchens. Hill. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, those are awesome. Um, Chantel, I, I was really excited to get into the topic of intermittent fasting for ADHD. Do you think we're going to have time? Sure. Let's talk about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's become a big part of my life, intermittent fasting, because of what it's done to help my ADHD. And I think this is a new topic no one's really exploring yet. So I just want to get the word out because it can help so many people like with a distracted brain or disappointed in their brain's energy supply or what they're capable of. And they know they're capable of more. Now, the ADHD brain is structurally different. It has lack of blood flow, neural connections, even the mitochondria, like the energy powerhouses inside our cells are not as strong. And we're lacking the overall self-management systems called executive functions. Now, executive functions are integrated in everything in our life, like decision-making, organizing thoughts and words and projects, getting started on tasks, uh, stress tolerance, emotional regulation, everything and anything you can think of. And it's usually going on automatically, like unconsciously. You could think of it like driving a car. You're not thinking of pushing the brake, checking the mirror, going like this, putting on your signal. Like it's automatic. But for the ADHD person, it takes a lot more conscious thought. These executive functions are not as efficient. Neurons are not firing when they need to. And so I started to think like, gosh, like I need to supply as much resources and energy to the part of my brain that's really impaired in the ADHD brain, which is the prefrontal cortex. And that's the most advanced part of the human brain, interestingly enough. That is the part that no other animal has. And it also has the most densely packed mitochondria than any other part in the whole body except for the ovaries. And that's because it's such an energy demanding place. But us with ADHD have impairments there. So what can we do to support our mitochondria and support blood flow and energy to that area? Well, we know that intermittent fasting helps us to get into ketosis without eating a keto diet. And we also know that humans are the only people who go into ketosis. I mean, the only species that goes into ketosis when they're fasting. So that was a survival advantage that we had. And why would that be? Why is that? It's because we are the only creatures with this advanced part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, where all those mitochondria are so densely packed. And we need fuel when there is no food in sight. And so our body makes fuel from our own fat that we have stored on our body. And it feeds the mitochondria in our prefrontal cortex. And I just realized like, hey, there are so many reasons why intermittent fasting should help the ADHD brain. And it makes a lot of sense now when you think about it. I mean, ketones are 
are incredible for your mitochondria. Like, let me just kind of preface this, everyone, in case you're not familiar with the word mitochondria. I mean, there are hundreds in each cell in our body. There are a quadrillion in our body, more than the bacterial cells in our gut. It's amazing. And without mitochondria, we die like within seconds. We need that to produce energy in all processes in the body. And because they're so densely packed in the brain, and also because they are the first place to suffer when our energy is unavailable or zapped, it's so important to support that if you want more energy or you want better cognitive function. And we know that intermittent fasting helps support mitochondrial function. We know that intermittent fasting gets us into autophagy. And autophagy is this cellular recycling process that just cleans up all the junky old cells and uses the parts from those cells that are still useful to build newer, stronger cells. But it also does that for our mitochondria. It's called mitophagy and it's part of the autophagy process. And it also helps us grow new mitochondria, mitochondrial biogenesis. And we know that fasting helps with neurogenesis, growing new neurons. I mean, even exercise, when you think about it, okay, intermittent fasting is very similar to exercise when it comes to the benefits that we get from it. And I'll go over those in a second, but we know the science and research shows time and time again that exercise is an incredible therapy for the ADHD brain. And that's a typical therapy that your doctor or psychiatrist would recommend to you to help with your ADHD symptoms. And it's undeniable. It helps. But the ADHD person has trouble with routine or implementing things that we should be doing because we know it's good for us, but we can't get ourselves to do it because we're not regimented like that. But intermittent fasting can help us achieve a lot of those same benefits, like an increase in norepinephrine. Norepinephrine is really lacking in the neural connections of the ADHD brain, but it helps us take initiative, do more, take action, and really feel the impulse to like move and be attentive. And then fast or exercise also boosts all of these adaptive processes. Like I mentioned, mitochondrial biogenesis, neurogenesis, new neural connections. It strengthens the myelin, the insulation around your cells. And that can make, if you have healthy myelin around your brain cells, it can increase transmission of messages in your brain up to a hundred times faster. And they're going on all the time. Like by the nanosecond, these are just happening like constantly in our brain. And if we can optimize all of those little things and boost like brain-derived neurotrophic factor. We know that we boost this brain cell growth factor when we're exercising and when we're doing intermittent fasting. So why not give it a try? I mean, it just seemed so obvious when I put all these things together. It just, it's not in the literature yet. They're finally trying ketosis or the keto diet in children's hospitals to treat other brain disorders. And they're noticing that they see improvements in the ADHD symptoms when these children are eating a keto diet. The problem is a keto diet is really restrictive. You have to be really diligent and, and it's just limiting. It's not likely that an ADHD person of any age is going to continue a keto diet for the rest of their life. And so how cool is it that intermittent fasting can help us tap into ketosis every single day on and off and we become so adaptive that our brain and our mitochondria get the ketones that they need from our own body fat without us eating a keto diet. I mean, it's so protective for the brain cells and it's so nourishing to our mitochondria. In fact, the mitochondria can make energy with ketones so much easier than glucose. There's one less metabolic step. And so it's a lot more efficient, not to mention that research shows the ADHD brain is impaired when it comes to glucose uptake. So we're just not as good at using glucose for energy. So if we can learn to use fat for energy, we are definitely ahead of the game and you can feel it when you're fasting. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's been tons of studies that show that the benefits of fasting are, you know, clearer thinking, better decision-making, decreased brain fog. Um, and, you know, all of the same things that people who are ADHD kind of complain about Right. that, you know, we have studies to show that the fasting helps with. One of my favorite analogies is I say that fasting is like putting 
uh, scuba gear on. So like if you imagine like here in Virginia Beach, we have water that is literally brown. Like (laughs) if you ever come to visit Virginia Beach and you come to our beach, it is literally brown. Like if you're standing at the beach, you can see nothing. You can't see the color of the fish. You can't see anything. As soon as you put scuba gear on though, and you put the glasses on and you go under the water, you can see the fish. You can see the color of the coral. You can see, you know, all the rocks and everything underneath. You can even see the color of the fish. And so that's what I believe fasting does, especially extended fasting. It Mm. truly brings that clarity. And I would say one of the things that ADHD people say is that, you know, the brain fog, they they need clearer thinking, better decision-making and all of that. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And the ADHD brain uses up energy so much more quickly than the neurotypical brain. And we start with less energy to begin with. I mean, I like to kind of give people an idea of what these brains are like and how they're different. If you compare two smartphones that are both low on energy and one smartphone's brand new, it's awesome. It holds a charge all the time. You don't even need to bring your charger with you. You can use the flashlight. You can use the video. It doesn't run out of battery. And even when you do charge it overnight, it charges so quickly. I mean, it's so efficient, right? But the second smartphone, this one is always running out of battery. It's an older phone and it feels like it's just never fully charged. You plug in the charger and while it's charging, you can't even use it because otherwise it'll never charge. Sometimes you miss calls because your phone is dead. It just seems so inefficient. It's always draining energy and it starts with less to begin with. And that's like the ADHD brain. It leaves you frustrated thinking, I wish I could get a new phone or I wish I could get a new brain. And if the ADHD person can eliminate some of the extra decision-making and all the toxic load, because a lot of the things that are impairing the ADHD brain or zapping our energy are, are things we don't even consciously think of, like lighting in our environment or technology or sounds or movement that are around us and, and just regulating our emotions. So if we can take some of the burden off and eliminate having to make one meal a day, like breakfast, for instance, for me, like I can get out the door earlier in the morning, it's actually easier and less stressful. And then on top of that, you're giving the body more time to regenerate and optimize processes that already exist and utilize energy that's already in your body. Mm. Yeah, I read a very good article and it was talking about the French secret to healing ADHD without medication. And they were talking basically about the time that we eat and what we're eating. And they were saying that, you know, in the United States, children are allowed to snack throughout the day, every minute of the day with processed snack foods and high carbs, high sugar, high gluten. And they're having, you know, kids menu with macaroni and cheese and chicken fingers and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And meanwhile, in France, the children do not snack all day. They were showing how a lot of them are doing intermittent fasting. There's no kid menus in France. The children eat what their parents eat and they're eating whole foods and just what an impact that, you know, they were having even kids Mm. who were from the United States that switched and now moved to France and their ADHD issues are gone. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. There's so many lifestyle factors that really contribute to our ADHD symptoms and exacerbate them. And and a lot of that has to do with our modern lifestyle, our food choices, the convenience foods and processed foods are so taxing on your mitochondria and your brain cells. I mean, anything that's promoting inflammation in the body is definitely promoting inflammation in the brain. And if you are not providing an ideal environment for the mitochondria or for your brain cells, then you're going to feel those symptoms like magnified like crazy. And and honestly, the myelin, I was talking about the insulation around your brain cells, it needs cholesterol from your foods that we get from animal products and healthy fats. It needs the building blocks. Your mitochondria need building blocks from animal foods, B vitamins, and all sorts of amino acids to keep your brain function strong and energy production high. And so even for anyone, when I teach intermittent fasting, nutrient density is such a critical part. I mean, in my method that everyone starts with, it's called the RESET method. It's an acronym. RESET is reduce carbs, eat nourishing foods, start with 12 hours, extend your fast, and trust your instincts. And the eat nourishing foods is a phase that I implemented because I'm not on board with the intermittent fasting 
protocol that's like, hey, this helps make up for all the McDonald's I've been eating and all the crap I've been eating. Because look at this, I can still lose weight if I only eat all that crap in two hours a day and I fast the rest of the day. Like, I'm not on board with that. If you're not supporting your body's needs or what it expects from you on a genetic level, disease is sure to come. I mean, how many steps forward or backward are you really taking when you're fasting, but you're still eating a bunch of crap? And for the ADHD person that has to definitely be addressed because your brain is depending on you to provide it with the necessary building blocks. And not to mention how toxic the standard American diet is. It's even more toxic for the ADHD brain. So eliminating processed foods, vegetable oils, fried foods, and excess grains, flour-based foods is so critically important. Sugar, get it out of there. You don't need it. Your life is going to be so much better when you reduce your intake of processed foods and you start to eat more nutrient-dense foods. And it, and it makes fasting a lot more enjoyable and a lot easier too. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, like magnesium is a mineral that has been shown to that's low in children with ADHD. And so if they're not, you know, if they're just eating processed food, junk, 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 and they're not getting the minerals and the um, supplementation they need, um, is there any multivitamins or any supplements that you are a fan of that you say these kind of help with um, just getting your, your nutrients in addition? Or are you just a proponent of just getting all those nutrients from food? Well, it depends. It depends on a person's diet and their circumstances. I think everyone today could really benefit from adding collagen to their diet, um, collagen hydrolysate of the, the absorbable kind. And you can also get that from bone broth, which has many more other beneficial things. So you should try and make your own homemade bone broth. And that can also be implemented into a fast and sort of a modified fast kind of way. I mean, there were times where my evening fatigue set in so, so terribly that it made me research how much protein I was getting. You know, I'm not usually very um, calculated with the types of nutrients that I'm getting, but I knew that there must be something missing. And sure enough, I was barely eating enough protein a day for any adult. And as soon as I added collagen during my fast, which Again, a lot of people will say you're not fasting. Um, it's a type of modified fast in my book. And uh, as we know from the research of the fasting mimicking diet by Dr. Longo, you can still have tremendous results and a reduction in whatever symptoms you're dealing with if you are implementing a low calorie version of a fasted diet. And so adding collagen in the morning was such a big help for me. A lot of people with ADHD are missing important amino acids. And that's a great place to start. I think chlorella and spirulina, uh, especially from a clean source, they provide an incredible array of micronutrients that most people are missing from their diet. And that chlorophyll-rich pigment, that dark green color you get from blue-green algae and green algae like chlorella is just it's really not accessible in our diet today. The way that farming has changed, the way that we um, cook our foods and prepare them it's missing. And so that's a great way to supplement with those, those two algaes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on our show today. Tell listeners where they can find you and follow your work. Okay. Thanks so much, Chantel. Well, if anyone wants that reset method to learn about intermittent fasting, they can go to marisamoon.com slash IF freedom. IF stands for intermittent fasting just to help you remember that. And, and that's yours for free. This manual is 23 pages and I'll coach you along the way. Such a great resource. Anybody wants to learn long-term intermittent fasting success or just to get started. And my podcast is The Foundation of Wellness. I encourage you to follow me on there. It's a new project of mine. We're in, just going in the second year and it's just a passion project. I hope you'll join me. And I'm on Instagram at Marisa underscore moon underscore. And I also have a Facebook group, The Foundation of Wellness. And you're welcome to join me there. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.